Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. In part two of I Remember Us, we talk about MKS, also known as the original lineup of the Sugar Babes. After a series of lineup changes left the group unrecognizable to fans, the original members attempted a reunion with the song Flatline, but a full album has yet to materialize. This week, I am talking about the song Flatline by the group MKS. It was released in 2013. And why is this song notable to speak about? Tell me. Tell me, because I don't really know. (laughs) Okay, so aside from the fact that I think that this is an incredible pop song, I thought it was incredible when it came out. I was shocked when it did not do great things. It's notable because it's the only official single released by the group MKS, which was comprised of Mutia Buena, Keisha Buchanan and Siobhan Donahue, who are also known as the founding members of the Sugar Babes. Does that help? Do you know who the Sugar Babes are? Yeah, but you know, I will say that when you first mentioned it, I was like the Sugar Cubes, and I thought you were talking about Bjork's Bjork? no, old album. No. And then I was like her old group, and then I was like, no, no, now I remember Sugar Babes. Sugar Babes. Yeah. So that's the thing is, I mean, for U.S. audiences, the Sugar Babes maybe don't have a huge amount of cultural relevance. They only ever had one song that actually charted in the United States. And that was um, Hole in the Head. Uh Uh-huh. That's a good song. It peaked at 96 on the Billboard Hot 100, which is not Really? Yeah. I thought it was higher than that. Maybe the gays knew it more. This is the thing. And this is is where those genre charts can be very misleading in terms of quote-unquote hits, is that Hole in the Head was a dance chart number one in the United States. And I think that's where we are very familiar with it, is that in like 2004, 2005... It was all over like gay pop dance clubs. And I think because yeah. gay, gay pop dance clubs, they were really into sourcing dance music from overseas. You know, that was something that we were used well, to hearing. Well, because it wasn't being produced in the U.S. Yeah. in that way. It was that Euro trash sound, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. So, I mean, despite that lack of success, crossover success into the United States, in the U.K., they are largely considered to be like one of the biggest female pop acts from the aughts. Um, their kind of claim on success is that they have six number one singles in the U.K., which was only superseded by the Spice Girls. Huh. So all the other girl groups that you can think of from the UK, like Girls Aloud or The Saturdays or Atomic Kitten or um, Little Mix even, like mm. they have a lot of hit singles, like top five, top 10 singles. But Sugar Babes lays claim on this notable fact that they have six number ones. Wow. Um, so the other thing that makes the Sugar Babes kind of notable and this ultimate group MKS Hold on. So what makes MKS notable, also known as the original lineup as the Sugar Babes, is that um, the career path for the Sugar Babes throughout the, the 2000s, it was wrought with these rumors that the group was constantly having interpersonal troubles. Mm-hmm. There was gossip about tension. There was gossip about infighting within the group. And even though in the press, the group really tried to um, downplay these rumors or deny that there was anything wrong, they nonetheless begin to shed members throughout the 2000s. And those members are then replaced with new members. And what happens as a result is that in 2009, the final original member of the Sugar Babes is ousted from the group and replaced, at which point fans of the group are like, wait, 
this is a different group. This isn't the sugar babes. What you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it happens over the course of the decade, and there's so much fan outcry that it's at that point that the three original the three original members begin to speak to each other again, and they start to coordinate this kind of counterattack to reform and due to legality issues, because at this point, three other women are now performing as the sugar babes. They have to unite under the banner of MKS, which is their initials for Mutia, Keisha and Siobhan. Huh? Yeah. And they release one single called flatline in 2013. Just what I'm going to be talking about someday. Wait, it was 2013. Yeah. This oh, I is guess a- that's the same time as, yeah. This is a long okay. time ago. I thought I, this song still sounds really fresh to me. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about it, I was like, holy shit, like this happened seven years ago. It, 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 it's crazy to me. I mean, I remember when Keisha Buchanan was let go of the Sugar Babes and that was over a decade ago now. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> so a little background on the Sugar Babes because no one has any idea who they are in the United States. But they were first formed in 1998 by... Uh, a producer named Ron Tom and Ron Tom was responsible for bringing uh, the group all saints together. All saints kind of had maybe a few hits here and there in the United States, but they did a cover song, right? Of, I really don't. I mean, it's one of those things where I remember their album covers and I, I remember their faces, but I don't know why I know who they are, but um, Siobhan Donahue and Mutia Buena, they are signed as solo artists by Ron Tom. And they're being developed around the same time. And they're like 12 and 13 years old in 1998. But Ron Tom has the idea to put them together. Mm-hmm. He sees them singing and then he's like, let's put you guys together. As, it, as the story is told, Mutia one day just brings in her childhood friend, Keisha Buchanan, into the studio with her just to keep her company. Uh-huh. And Ron Tom hears Keisha singing and he thinks, I'm going to put all three of you together as a group. So Keisha and Mutia are friends. Siobhan is just another woman that also had a deal with the record label and they put, put them together. And one of the interesting things that is said about the group is that their management put them together because they looked a little bit like a United colors of Benetton ad (laughs) because Keisha is like of Jamaican ancestry. Muti is actually like Filipina. And then Uh Siobhan is like this redheaded Irish girl. And so they, okay. they make an interesting mix in that they really don't mix. They're very distinct in their looks and their voices are very distinct from each other. And that's something else that's interesting about them is that despite their voices sounding so individual and so distinct on their own, they're noted um, in the UK for having this very distinctive and very beautiful blend with each other when they harmonize. So that kind of defines that initial look at what the Sugar Babes is going to be. And they released their first album in 2001 just called one touch. And the first single is a song called overload. And the song is very well reviewed there. It's funny because at the time the reviews respond well to their particular musical sound saying this British styled funky R and B is what they're kind of largely considered. I think in contrast to other groups that were coming up at the time, like in my kind of, stateside recollection you had you did have bands like atomic kitten or you had s club seven or um steps right and all of those very poppy i would say the only way that we ever heard those bands in the united states was on radio disney Hmm. 
Very, very. S Club, S Club 7 used to get played at Tiger Heat. That one song. <laughs> that's how I knew them. But there, I mean, but the thing is like S Club 7, if you listen to some of their older output, it's very bubblegummy. It's, it has, there's a yeah. kiddish feel to it that I feel like, oh, that was very much a Radio Disney feel, right? Mm-hmm. Sugar Babes was not that, despite being like 12 and 13, you know? Well, by the time mm-hmm. the first album comes out, they're 15 and 16. But they're notably working with um, a writer-producer named Cam- Cameron McVeigh, who is married to Nana Cherry. Oh. So he's actually like either the co-writer or co-producer of uh, Buffalo Stance, which is interesting. <laughs> and he, he, he had worked with Massive Attack in the early 90s. Yeah. So he's working with this group to produce this perhaps more distinct and more sophisticated music than others are putting out at the same time. This initial release, though it's critically well received, it doesn't create a lot of traction in terms of sales. And so after the promotion of this album, um, the group is dropped from their label. The group is dropped from their label, but this is also in the time period where the group experiences their first lineup change. And that is that Siobhan Donahue decides that she is she no longer wants to be a part of the Sugar Babes. And it's around this time that the attitudes or the personalities of the group members are starting to fall into question with kind of gossip media, mm-hmm. you know, because there are reports that Siobhan Donahue was bullied out of the group. There are reports that she literally excused herself from a meeting and climbed out of a bathroom window and never came back. And that was her way of leaving the group. That's the gossip. She, to this day, she says that that's actually not what happened. Uh huh. And, you know, at, at points, she seems to confirm the fact that she never felt like a welcome member to that group, that Mutia and Keisha were good friends in and of themselves, and that Keisha kind of iced her out and never wanted her to be a part of the group to begin with. But it's interesting because in that they reunite later, a lot of that history is kind of erased and they kind of just say we worked through all of our issues, you know? Uh-huh. But, um, so Siobhan Donahue, she climbs out of a window in Japan, supposedly. I don't know. The, the rumors are very wild rega- regarding this. But she is um, replaced by Heidi Range. And Heidi Range is a very different look for the group because Heidi Range, uh, she was actually an original member of Atomic Kitten and she had expressed an interest in kind of moving away from that bubblegum pop sound into this more cool R&B sound that Sugar Babes was trying to explore. And so she joins the group. She is um, maybe more sexy in her appearance. She's blonde. She's like a honey blonde. She's very tall and skinny. Um, so she joins the group in 2001. And it's only actually after that, in the sh- what's called the Sugar Babes 2.0 era, that then the Sugar Babes t- starts to take off. They sign a new album deal with Island. Um, They start to record with different people. And that's where their string of number one hits starts to come to fruition. So Uh, their first number one single is a remake of Adina Howard's song, Freak Like Me. Okay. Because I'm like, why do I? I know them, but I don't know them. And I know that you hate that version of Freak Like Me. It's very different. It's very different from Adina Howard's version. Just last week, I made Adam put on Adina Howard's version and was talking about how amazing that song is. So it is amazing. I think that I I think that the Sugar Babes version of Freak Like Me is amazing for a different reason. The producer that they worked with on that was uh, a guy Uh called Richard X, and he actually took um, 
a sample of um what's that song called our friends electric hmm. so it has this really weird dissonant guitar riff going against the vocals of the song mm-hmm. and just the vocal performance of the song i don't think it's intended to be this even comparable to Adina Howard's thing. I think that's what yeah. I like about it is that they weren't trying to do what Adina Howard was doing with that song. They were just trying to take it into a different kind of Euro pop yeah. direction, you know? Yeah. I think that's what I always resented about it. Cause it's, it reminds me of all saints and their like cover of lady marmalade. Mm. Oh, all I'm saints. Like, yeah. And I, but that's what I mean. Like, I, I think I, I kind of put them together like right or wrong, mm-hmm. like in my mind, like sort of interchangeably. I mean, again, there there is something there is something that's musically different going on in the UK, right? Yeah. The like the, the the same types of songs that will hit over here aren't going to hit in the UK and vice versa. But you know, "Freak Like Me," "Round Round," "Hole in the Head," and "Push the Button" like starts off this string of hit singles for the group. So they see, um the majority of fans kind of coalescing around them with this particular lineup. It's the Mutia, Keisha, Heidi lineup. And they go on this way through, I think two albums, right? Uh With this particular lineup in 2005, they release um, another album called, I think it's their fourth studio album. It's called taller in more ways. No, did I get that title wrong? No, that's it. Okay. Good. It's that was just off the top of my head because I did not document it in my notes. Uh, so they released this <laughs> album in um, 2005. The lead single from this is "Push the Button," which goes to number one. But I remember that song. Yeah, I, I think it, again it got played in dance clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the middle of promoting this album, basically, kind of between the first and second singles. Uh, Mutia begins to um, miss appearances. It's reported that she's sick. But again, there's always these rumors about every time someone misses an appearance, it's like, what happened? Who got into a fight? Who did what to who? You know, what's going to happen? Is so-and-so quitting the group? And it does turn out that that year, Mutia decides to leave the group. Um, She's also a relatively new mother. So you were talking about SWV, about how they took a big break. Um, When Coco, was it Coco? Yeah. Yeah, t- Coco had a baby. Like when Coco had her baby that they took a break and that caused this like lull in their album production schedule or whatnot. But the interesting thing about Sugar Babes, I think through all of this is that they're just going nonstop. They stop for they stop for no man or no woman. <laughs> so in the middle between first and second singles on this album, Muti decides she wants to leave the group. And they're like, "Okay, great. We've got this other girl waiting." The, you know, bring in Amel. Wow. So this so this girl named Amel Baraba joins the group. And in the middle of this album promotion cycle, they're like, okay, we gotta re-record some of these songs. Let's put Amel on some of these songs. They re-record three tracks from the album Taller in More Ways and re-release the whole album with basically with the- they, they 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 label it Amel Amel version. Muti wow. is erased from certain songs. Just so that, you know, when they're promoting these singles, they have they can actually have her go out and sing it and be like the one on the track. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I thought that was very weird that that happened and that they just opted not to stop the promotional schedule. It's like, Oh, Muti is gone. Okay, perfect. Like bring in a Mel mm-hmm. proceed. Um, so then we're in sugar babes 3.0. And I think it's at this point that the sugar babes start to see less critical acclaim or less popular success is the Keisha 
Amel Heidi era. Because one thing that I will say is that to me anyway, Mutia's voice is the best voice in the Sugar Babes. It's the most, it's the one that you hear. Most and she's distinctly. the one who left. And she's the one that leaves second. Mm, okay. And she is, she's got this, uh, she's had the gravel of like a 90 year old woman who's been smoking a pack a day for her entire life from the time that she's like 13 years old. Her voice is that distinctive to me, but also like really great. I think it adds a little bit of, um, it helps with adding that little bit of soul to their uh-huh. songs that maybe you don't, yeah, that you maybe don't get from this crystal clear vocal from like Heidi, you know, which is, which is, which is something I think it's interesting that you say that because I feel like that is something that I respond to, particularly with these kinds of groups from the UK. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, they, they're ostensibly doing sort of R and B influenced pop, but the vocal is always so pop. I, I feel like, or, or a lot of times it's very poppy and doesn't mm-hmm. have sort of the gravitas, the, gra- the, you know, the characteristics that I associate with an R&B singer. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. And I think that's how Sugar Babes was setting themselves apart. Right. So they replace Amel. Uh, I mean, they replace Mutia with Amel and Amel has a good voice and I could see that they were trying to get someone that could approximate Mutia's vocals but it wasn't it was never the same after that to me but they they carry on and um this lineup of the sugar babes releases two more albums including 2007's change and 2008 2008's cat fights and spotlights and throughout this and i think that that last album title it really refers to the fact that these rumors are still dogging them about Um, especially about Keisha. Keisha Buchanan takes a lot of flack in the press for supposedly being just super difficult and a really kind of mean person. She's the last, she's the last one standing. She's the last original member. She was name dropped in um, Siobhan explaining why she left the group. Um, And in the press, it's always called out when when Keisha is not super animated during an interview or when Keisha talks over her bandmates during an interview or when Keisha talks over her bandmates during a performance, that type of stuff is always perpetuated about her. And there's, there's more than a little bit of like racism, I think involved. I was going to say she liked the Meghan Markle. Cause Keisha Buchanan again, like for those people that don't have an, a, a photograph of sugar babes emblazoned in their mind, Keisha Buchanan is a dark-skinned woman of Jamaican ancestry. Mm. I was going to say, that's that, that tracks, seemingly tracks with press coverage. And she she is, you know, even when you read up on interviews with the band throughout different points in time, and this is something that uh, Keisha and Mutia, because Keisha and Mutia, they were always friends, right? Even after Mutia left the band. They talk about those early days of going into the, into the press and then reading the write-ups on these interviews that they were doing. And it's always commented about how Keisha is frowning or she's unresponsive to things or, Oh, they're so shocked that Keisha was in a good mood today. Kind of framing her as like a angry, essentially an angry black woman. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mutia, Mutia, who's like 
you know, she's half Filipina, but she also has like a, a tough vibe to her. She's like fully, she's got tattoos fully across her chest. She, um, has like a Marilyn piercing. She, in the, in the mid 2000s, she had pencil thin eyebrows, big cat wing eyeliner. Like you can, you can see the image in your mind that she was trying to portray. Right. But there are constant comments about her and her aggressive style or her tough looks. Mm. And by comparison for Heidi, who's tall, skinny blonde, it's always about, Oh, sweet faced, honey blonde, Heidi range. Even when she's saying fucked up shit, you know, like, cause Heidi was not immune to talking shit. You know, mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's quotes from her that talk about things going on in the group. And I don't think that she was ever given those kinds of kinds of descriptors that yeah. Keisha and Mutia were subject to. Yeah. I mean, it's well documented at this point, just the way the British press in particular treats uh, people and celebrities of color yeah. in their coverage. I mean, it's very well documented at this point. It's like a whole yeah. <laughs> documentaries about it. So there was this undercurrent of, of the media kind of focusing in on Keisha and Mutia as being aggressive and impolite, classless. And again, it wasn't helped by all these things going on with the group and the lineup. Mm -hmm. So this uh, Sugar Babes 3.0, they release a couple albums. Um, they're gearing up for their seventh studio album called Sweet Seven. And they released the lead single off of Sweet Seven, which is a song called Get Sexy. Mm. And it's in this period of time that it seems like Sugar Babes is maybe now poised for bigger success. Mm-hmm. especially in the United States. So in advance of the release of Sweet Seven, Sugar Babes are actually signed to Rock Nation. So Jay-Z has taken an interest in this group. And as a result of being affiliated with Rock Nation, they now have access to big name American producers. So they're working with like um, Red One. They're working with Stargate, the Smeezingtons, you know, all these big name producers in the States that are creating the sounds that are increasingly big here. Mm-hmm. And reportedly, from what I'd heard, a lot of that deal hinged upon Keisha Buchanan. Like, there were reports that, like, Jay-Z had actually met Keisha Buchanan personally and really liked her and really liked her voice and really liked her attitude and everything about her. And so this deal with Rock Nation comes about for Sugar Babes, and Keisha Buchanan, I think, is kind of at the center of it. She's kind of the linchpin of it. And they release the song Get Sexy, and they release a video for the song Get Sexy, I don't like this song. I don't like the name of this song. I think that in the in the attempts to try and mainstream the Sugar Babes in the United States, they were kind of abandoning a lot of what the Sugar Babes had established for themselves. Because I think that that's something interesting to note is that in those early days, even when the girls were teenagers, they were taking a lot of control over their music. They were always getting writing credits for writing their own lyrics and developing their own harmonies mm. as teenagers, you know, and and working together in that way. And so when you reach this sugar babes 3.0 where there's only one original member remaining, um, it's largely looked upon as the Keisha Buchanan show. 
that creatively anything that they have a say in, like Keisha Buchanan is the one coming up with it. And that Heidi and Amel are kind of, you know, in the background, right? But what happens in 2009 is that Amel misses a couple shows, just completely misses a couple appearances. And immediately the press is like, oh shit, Amel's leaving the band. There's all kinds of denials. And then the media reports that there's rumors that um, that year's Eurovision entry for uh, Great Britain, uh, a win name Jade Ewan, is being prepped to replace Amel in the group. And this is all denied, 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 denied. And what happens is that maybe a week after that, a week after there's just all these denials, it's actually announced that Keisha is leaving the group and that Keisha is being replaced by Jade Ewan. It it starts out with the kind of normal press release of like, oh, uh, you know, we wish Keisha well, you know, she's moving on to her solo career, et cetera, et cetera. But then Keisha goes onto Twitter and says like, I had no idea this was happening. This, this is all a surprise to me. I didn't hear about this until it was released to the press. And it's then that the backlash begins because then it's suddenly revealed that perhaps this has been in the works because they were already prepared with Jade Ewan. They were already re-recording this entire new album with Jade Ewan covering all of the Keisha Buchanan parts. Hmm. And I would say that the immediate reaction from fans and from the media was entirely negative that at the, this is the point where everyone's like, wait a second, Keisha Mutia and Siobhan are all gone from this group. What is this group that I'm listening to now? Mm -hmm. In addition to the fact that they're now working with American producers and the sound of the music has changed. They're no longer leaning into these like lush harmonies and, you know, kind of an, uh, a not super mainstream American sound, you know, the backlash is almost immediate and, this album just tanks. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do well. And um, as a result, Rock Nation drops the group and um, their longtime label Island. They actually part ways with their longtime label Island after this album. So like essentially the album that was supposed to be a highlight for this completely new lineup because of the backlash of the group leaving, like it kind of, I mean, it, it didn't actually do anything for the new lineup of Sugar Babes. In fact, everything fell apart. I think that, you know, they went into it with the idea that Keisha Buchanan and Heidi Range were enough to carry the Sugar Babes across the pond. And something happened. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, they all try to be very, very polite about it to the press officially they all try to be very polite about like i still wish the best to all these girls but what is revealed in interviews with heidi and amel basically like the the two members that were with keisha at that point they they go on the record saying that yes there were problems with keisha but what they had told their managers was like we're both going to quit the group keisha can do it and you can find two other people but it's the management that makes the executive decision like, no, you know what? We're going to get rid of Keisha, bring Jade in to replace Keisha. And they're like, oh, holy shit. Like, I think that there was, they knew that this was going to create backlash because um, interestingly enough, like when they relaunched the album with new vocals by this different person, um, Amel, she has to go to Austria for like two months to recuperate. 
She says she's dealing with so much mental stress from what's been happening that she just takes a break from the group and Jade and Heidi go on a promotional tour to try and promote this, this new look for the sugar babes basically. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work out for them over the course of the next few years. The sugar babes 4.0, which is Jade, Heidi and Amel. They go back and forth on whether the band is still together. They release, they release one more single. They switch over to RCA as their main record label and they release um, a single called Freedom. But after that, it's it's silence for like the next two years. And there's interviews here and there where they're talking about, yeah, we're just taking a break. No, we're definitely getting back together. No, we're definitely still the sugar babes. But there's either some miscommunication or something because at, at other times they're like, oh, I don't think we're ever going to get back together. I don't know what's happening. And so by 2014, it's largely considered that that version of the sugar babes is over. In the meantime, once Keisha Buchanan is out of the group in 2009, Mutia Buena, who has just been doing solo work, but also like taking care of her, raising her kid. It seems that she's the one that kind of gets it in her head of like, wait, Keisha's out of the group. Like what, what is the sugar babes? Like who owns the sugar babes? Do I own the sugar babes? Right. So through her attorneys, she kind of starts digging into this, like what rights do us, like the original members of the sugar babes have to any of this. And um, in 2009, 2010, through her lawyers, she's able to gain the paper rights to the sugar babes name. So after that, if you buy uh, sugar babes, greeting cards or sugar babes, wrapping paper, any of that stuff, the money goes to Mutia, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is interesting. And it's at that time that she says she first reaches out to Keisha and Siobhan to see like, hey, like, you know, do we get back together? Like, what are our rights here? Mm-hmm. Um, Keisha at that time is not interested. You know, she has just gone through kind of a traumatic experience with this group. She's understandably just trying to be like trying to figure out her next steps, basically. Right. But a couple years pass, 2011, um, through social media, the girls reveal that like they're back in the studio. Unfortunately, at this time, the other group of girls is still operating under the name Sugar Babes. And so Mutia, Keisha and Siobhan have no rights to use that name for their own performance or recording. So they come up with the acronym MKS. And so in 2012, they finally confirm, yes, we're getting back together. We're starting to record together again. And there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of pop media internet fervor around this. Like people are really excited. And so this song that they released first called Flatline, it's uh, co-written and then co-produced by Dev Hines. Oh. Who um, performs, Who he performs himself under the, the stage name of Blood, Blood Orange. Orange. Yeah. But I feel like at the time, he was getting a little bit of hype as like an up-and-coming songwriter slash producer. He -hmm. had done a song that I love but for Sky Ferreira called Everything is Embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And then that same year, I think 2011, yeah, 2011, 2012, he had uh, also co-produced and co-written Solange's True EP Mm -hmm. featuring the song Losing You. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard for me to put into words what the sound of like a Dev Hines song is there's like Mm -hmm. a a retro feel to it but it also feels incredibly fresh Mm -hmm. it's like alternative electro pop yeah electro pop there's like i feel like the instrumentation has like 80s kind of prince influences to it but then particularly when he's working with 
MKS on this track. There's like 90s vibes to the vocals. Mm. There's like this weird like Koto sound. And then there's like a strange like drum circle moment that comes in at the end. That is to say that it was not mainstream pop. I think it had a lot more credibility with kind of indie music folk. You know, like this song, uh, Flatline, it was it was very well written up on like Pitchfork at the time and like pop justice. I think a lot of people that were into that, that sound that was coming out of Dev Hines really responded to this particular pairing as something that was kind of magical. But at the same time, in as much as Dev Hines was producing these songs, I feel like none of those songs ever made it to the mainstream. They reformed, I guess, aside from hole in the head though, I mean, is the excitement still limited to fans in the UK or is it kind of everywhere? I know you said Pitchfork kind of picked up on like their new stuff, but like, is this mostly like a UK revival? I think that like, yes, I think that yes, it was primarily a UK revival, but I think that there was a fan base for the Sugar Babes in the United States. Mm. And I think that there was an audience here that was keen to see what was going to happen with, you know, the Sugar Babes partnership with rock nation got it got it i mean i personally was kind of into this because at the time i was into the sugar babes and i was also into dev hines um Mm. i think i first i saw i first saw him at uh fyf fest he blood orange performed at fyf fest one year okay and i was like oh like this you know I thought I, he's good. I thought his music was amazing. He he yeah, later like he's he worked he's worked with like Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, he produced a track on like Blondie's latest album, which I thought mm-hmm. was cool. Anyway, so this song gets released. The press really loves it, but music fans don't really ever buy into this song, and so it doesn't chart very highly on British charts. They do a mini promotional tour. They debut this song live on like Alan Carr. Mm -hmm. Um, They do appearances at like G.A.Y. You know, so they, they put a good faith effort into promoting this song. They seem really excited about it. The press seems really excited about it. Unfortunately, like the public doesn't seem really excited about it. Mm. I remember, um, you know, to continue our Eric Chronicles, um, when this song came out, by the time the song came out, our friend Eric was living overseas and I had kind of emailed him or something. I was like, yeah, like, what happened to this song? Like, I never heard anything after this song Flatline came out. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, that that song Flatlined. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, Oddly prescient. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this song fails to gain any traction. And then, after that, their full album leaks. Mm. And even at this point, in 2012, the full leak of an album essentially it ruins the release of the whole album in the eyes of the record label. And the whole thing basically disappears. And the group of girls, like that particular group of girls, Mutia, Keisha, and Siobhan, they largely disappear from public appearances in that time. There's constant, um, they kind of, they kind of bubble up from time to time to say like, Oh, you know, we're, yes, we're working on stuff. Yes. We're still together. But given their history, Mm -hmm. the public and the press is constantly like, are they still together? Did they break up? Are they still friends? Did, did, did Siobhan climb out of another window in Japan? Like, where did she go? Yeah. And so, strangely enough, it's not until 2019 that then they resurface, revealing that 
they're no longer performing under the name MKS. None of those initial kind of experiments that they were doing with Dev Hines. They were also working with MNEK at the time, which is crazy. Hmm. In 2012, MNEK was like 17. Yeah, it was like he's still young. Yeah. Um, but they reveal that all of those experimentations, all of those songs that they laid down as MKS, are they're moving on, but they have officially uh, regained ownership over the name The Sugar Babes. Oh. And so they are now reunited as The Sugar Babes. They're featured on a new track in 2019 um, called Flowers. Excuse me. <laughs> um, uh, okay? <laughs> sorry, it's getting so hot in here. I was gonna be like, "Are you gonna spontaneously combust?" I melt. I feel like it. I feel like it's present in the way that I'm talking about this. That I'm melting and slowly losing cohesion. But this is why I said, it, "No, I mean it would have been. <laughs> yeah. It's it's supposed to be worse tomorrow." Um, but in 2019, um, so they they are contacted by this DJ named DJ Spoonie, and he's releasing <laughs> this compilation album called Garage Classical, um, because like garage, um, what is it like UK garage, garage music? UK garage music is like um, that Daniel Bedingfield song. Got to get through this. Yeah, yeah. That has yeah. that very particular dance dun, beat to dun, it. Dun. But like the drum beat that comes in underneath yeah. It, yeah. it, it's like that's kind of like for me anyway, as a as a as a U.S. centric person, that's like my beacon for what UK Garage is. But so um, they partner with him to do this remake of a classic Garage song called Flowers. Again, it, it, I think it it creates a certain level of fervor among fans, and they make a certain mm-hmm. number of um, media performances on like Graham Norton. To a lot mm-hmm. of excitement, but you know, to talk again about the level of success that SWV was able to achieve. It's like I don't know that enough fervor was there to kind of catapult them back to where they were, to the point that we even know what's happening with them now. Yeah, Keisha Buchanan has started a YouTube channel that has like six thousand followers, which is fascinating. Um, she and uh, Mutia get on Instagram lives to just have little chats. Notably, Siobhan Donahue, she's been quote unquote sick since about mm-hmm. March of 2020. So again, there's, so again, the press is like, where is she? Did she climb out yeah, of a yeah, window? Yeah. What, what happened to yeah. Siobhan? Um, Ar- argue, arguably, arguably, uh, the, they're, they're just as popular as our current podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they're more popular than our current podcast, Jason. <laughs> We need to add the YouTube channel, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so I, I mean, this song I find fascinating, not only because of all of this drama, all the mm-hmm. catfights, all the spotlights, but, I mean, to listen to it, did you get a chance to listen to this song? I did. I okay. did. It To me, it's, there is something magical about this song that I... I really love and I truly, truly, truly expected this song to at least be a big hit in the UK. Mm-hmm. I understood if, um, you know, it didn't cross over here, mm-hmm. but I thought at least it was going to get a digital release. I thought it was Eric least... like it. No, Eric hated it. Well, he doesn't like Dev Hines either. Oh, I mean, Dev Hines is so cool. There's I don't think, cool. you something... know, Eric, if you actually do listen to this, you could let us know. No, he's not listening to it. I know. Um, <laughs> but um, 
it didn't even get an official digital release here. Like I got kind of used to the idea that like Spotify in the United States would start to pick stuff up so that, you know, I understand your record label doesn't want to print physical CDs to ship to the United States. Fine. But make it available for streaming in the United States and you'll get, you'll get, you know, the 16th of a cent that I'll give you. Um, but this song never even made it that far. Yeah. And ultimately it's interesting because I had been kind of wondering like what happened to this project? Where did they go? I, I had to succumb to, I'm sorry. (laughs) You had to succumb to what? Oh, I had to succumb to the temptation to download a leaked copy of this album. Oh, but fully I waited till like 2016 after it was clear that this album was never coming out. Well, yeah. When you mentioned them, I was like, oh, let me, cause I, I, I didn't know all of this. And so I went first to Spotify and it's like, of course it's not there. Nope. Uh, MKS is something else on there. Yep. Or it doesn't exist. And they, they've since like, they, you know, they used to have an official like YouTube Vivo channel that had the official music video for this. That channel's disappeared. The, the, mm-hmm. the MKS channel that appears on YouTube now it's, it's run by like a fan that just kind of posts things. But yeah, the whole the whole history of MKS is getting erased yeah, as we they're speak. Like, they're like Aaliyah. Yeah. And it's so sad because I, I think that having listened to purportedly what was supposed to be the full album, I think front to back, it is so good. I think that it recaptures their voices as individuals. Like basically what, y- what I was looking for out of the sugar babes was their voices, mm-hmm. their harmonies, and then kind of like what I would assume is their own artistic approach to their musical style, the producers that they were working with, the songwriting style, because I think that what you see over the course of the sugar babes evolving throughout the two thousands and losing original members is that um, what makes their voices distinct is disappearing, but also the level of creativity that you assume that you're getting from the members themselves is also starting to disappear. That one of the thing that Keisha Buchanan says in retrospect, when she talks about the different lineups of the sugar babes is that she had the most fun with the later lineup of the sugar babes, but she creatively felt the most fulfilled with the early lineup of the sugar babes that when they were that early Mm. lineup, they were working on their songwriting. They were working on refining their harmonies. They were working on, you know, defining their sound Whereas yeah. that as the lineups changed, like a lot of those aspects were lost. Yeah. You know, and I, d- I definitely feel that. And I think that that's what makes me a fan of the sugar babes music that I am a fan of. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give it a listen. I, I, I've pulled up. I mean, I've, I've only listened to whatever's available on YouTube. Like YouTube. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about is the interpersonal relationships that make up these groups and how difficult it is to uh, try to be friends or maybe just try to be cordial coworkers. Yeah. And work on something that is trying to express your creativity and also comes with the huge stakes of trying to break through to large scale musical audiences, you know, um, obviously you were talking about a little bit about Coco 
as being the villain perhaps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of SWV. And I had a parallel with Keisha Buchanan often, often being presented as the villain of the sugar babes. And essentially the reason that a lot of these girls left the group. Um, it's in, and it's interesting to, to note for, for MKS slash the sugar babes that in the present, I think they're all very positive about their experiences with each other. They try to downplay any drama that ever existed. They try mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, we were kids when we first got together, there was drama, people were getting in our ears. It was, it felt like um, a little bit of divide and conquer. Whereas at, at the same time, even though they've purported to have worked through any tension that they have between them, you know, Siobhan has said in interviews that Keisha was essentially her first bully in life. You know, which I thought was very interesting. But um, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that those types yeah. of personality things come into play. Well, and I think I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? I mean, if anyone has had the opportunity to work with a friend, right? Because if you think about your friends. Case in point, you're usually, you and me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, remember, like, back in the day, like, you did a website for my company at one point, right? Like, um, it, it's just, there's a for most people, there's a firewall between a work persona and your friend, like the person, you know, as your friend. Yeah. And like a lot of tension can arise as we all get older and we do different things. Like a lot of times we don't really know what our friends are good at professionally. And mm. we also maybe don't know if they're, I mean, when it's, it's just interesting. And like, I, to, to then bring the dynamic of like where your friends and you're working together and like, you know, you have your friendship style, which may be very different than like your professional style. And, um, you know, the the ways in which you interact on a professional level are just different, um, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily so. But like it can create tension. It's it's just very interesting. And like to have to do that to your point to navigate that while also trying to navigate the creation of a public persona, the stress of needing to be a success and performing all the time and all of these things. It's like, even on a small scale, you can kind of see how that would just, I mean, again, I always, it's my oft used phrase, tale as old as time. It's something that we all know. It, <laughs> well, is, yeah. the, it is the plot line for so many different movies. Books. Yeah. Cause I think for the, for the majority of us, we're used to the idea that we can, be professional with our coworkers. We can have a particular level of camaraderie with our coworkers, but we understand that there's a particular boundary between us and our coworkers that allows us to interact professionally and also be a little bit hard nosed when we need to be. Yeah. And no one's going to take anything personally mm-hmm. because there is yeah. kind of like a, a boundary set there versus yeah. like when you are working with a friend that maybe at times you're used to being able to turn to that person for a little reassurance or emotional support. And you realize that there are going to be points with this very good friend that you also need to have a little bit of a hard nose. And maybe you, you can't be there with unequivocal support because there are times when you then from a business perspective need to politely oppose them. Mm -hmm. It's it's a hard thing when your friend who you're emotionally dependent on, even if they politely oppose you, it can feel like such a big affront to your friendship, you know? Yeah. Well, and as we're talking about this and I'm thinking about what I said about SWV and how like at the end of the day, it's a job and then they leave and they don't really talk to each other. And, you know, 
sort of being like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, and how I feel that makes me feel about the group. I mean, if I think about it in terms of my own professional life and it's like, I do truly enjoy my coworkers. I enjoy my colleagues. Um, I enjoy what we do together, but like at the end of the day, we leave it all at work. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm, I'm not interested necessarily in hanging out in the same way. I'm not interested yeah. in checking in there. Are, you know, and, and you put up that boundary there. There's a very clear, I'm, 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 I'm very about this where at work, like it's like we get along, but we're not front. Like I, I limit what I share because we're not friends because it does, you know, yeah, it, it blurs the line sometimes when you need to have, you know, take a different approach. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that that's bad. And if I apply that yeah. to like, say something like SWV, it's like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I do understand that more. Right. Maybe I do understand that like it doesn't take away from their ability to blend and like really put together good work. Mm -hmm. Right. In the same way that my team puts together really good work, but we don't go home and like, you know, live together and have barbecues all the time. The only difference I would say is that as the. As the public, Uh, we again, to go back into an idea of like an image, we Uh expect these singing groups to be more than just a business transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, there, there is a, there is a, there is a persona. It we're no one is looking at my team at work and being like, yeah. well, they're presenting like they're all hanging out together. Like, <laughs> it's not like that. Right. It's not, it's not like that. So, I mean, there's not that added, that added thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting too, that to contrast MKS versus SWV that MKS or the sugar babes rather, they were so willing to just shed members as though none of those member, as though none of those members were contributing anything essential to the group. Mm -hmm. Whereas at least, you know, to SWV's credit, they're willing to get to this point where we don't have to be friends. We don't have to chit chat, but we at least recognize that the formula of SWV is us. Yeah. I, yeah. In a group, like who is the linchpin of the group before the group is just done? I think when I'm talking about Sugar Babes, it was the departure of Keisha Buchanan that um, signaled the effective end of that group. You know, ostensibly, if we're talking about linchpins, Keisha and Mutia were, were good personal friends. Mutia left for personal reasons. Maybe that was the beginning of the end of the actual. At the group. end, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but you know, it brings up an interesting question about like, as the music consuming public, like what what do we look for in a group, and what defines a group for us? You know, I was thinking about yeah. obviously the Supremes carried on um, without Diana Ross mm-hmm. for. They released a couple of albums in the post Diana Ross period. They never reclaimed the success that they had with Diana Ross, but they carried on and. You know, in fact, prior to Diana Ross leaving, like Florence Ballard had left the group and was mm-hmm. replaced by Cindy Birdsong. Um, I think Mary Wilson is the only member of the Supremes that carries on throughout like their formation in the 60s all the way through to the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're they're suddenly trying to replace Diana Ross with someone that they're trying to get to sound like Diana Ross. But it's like. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're too young to kind of recall that, but. But an interesting, an interesting one that I, that I found was, um, you know, in, in thinking about groups to kind of talk about or, or, or a topic to talk about this week. Um, 
I looked at like someone like boys, a group like boys to men. Oh yeah, yeah. Prolific, huge. Right. And I was like, well, let me listen to their recent output. You know, that the, their lineup has changed. I don't care enough. I didn't care enough to go too Wait, far. Did, into it, like what it, did it change beyond the one guy leaving? Well, I think that's what, so <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I was like, yeah, I think so. And then I didn't look any further. Yeah. But like the thing is, is I went back and I, I've listened to their output since, was it two? Was it, you know, was that the name of their album that was like huge in the nineties? Um, their seminal, you know, the, the one that, that had uh, Mariah, the duet with Mariah Carey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of that. Right. I listened to everything after that and it's terrible to me. Like I hate all of it. Like it's just bad. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's it, interesting. And, and you're just like, well, I wouldn't say the guy who left was the linchpin, but you wouldn't think it's it. Almost, you wouldn't think it, but, but like also just like the kind of music they're making is just so out of, out of time. Like it's just frozen in Amber. There's no updating of it. There's just, there's no resources behind it either to like continue to make it good, to make mm-hmm. it well. Um, in my opinion. And yeah. so like everything, I, I went back through multiple of their albums that have been released because they've still been putting out, they've been touring a lot and their voices are still beautiful, but it's just not music I'm interested in hearing. And yeah. it doesn't sound like a lot of people are. And I mean, you know, it's interesting because the voice that they lost, he was like their like baritone bass yeah, yeah, harmony. Yeah. And yeah. I will say that like, I mean, I, I don't really know any of their songs after the album two from yeah. 1994. Yeah. Um, so that, that fourth member didn't leave until like later on, but I will say that like after that, I feel like they were making appearances. They released that Motown covers album, Uh but once, but like once that fourth voice in the harmony was gone, even though you wouldn't think of that as the prime voice that you hear it, Mm -hmm. it really was essential. I think Mm. to a lot of boys to men's biggest hits is, is that, that voice was down there kind of supporting it. It's not yeah. the way that you never hear Lance Bass, whatever Lance Bass is singing in sync. Like mm-hmm. you never hear his voice. Very rarely did you ever hear Kevin Richardson from Backstreet yeah. Boys. And they were, or the other two members of Destiny's Child. Yeah. I mean, Latavia, I think Latavia was the bass, not bass, baritone. No, Maybe. what is, what's the, like the alto, like the low alto. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she was a baritone. Contralto. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing is like, um, destiny's child is still destiny's child without Latavia and Latoya. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they could not have carried on without Beyonce. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Cause Beyonce was everything. And, but like, um, you know, Kevin Richardson famously left Backstreet Boys for a bit. They were fine. Didn't really miss him. Yeah. Um, new edition. I was thinking about new edition and like, oh, cause they've gone without Bobby Brown. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing is that, um, Bobby Brown was it Bobby Brown was kicked out first. Mm-hmm. Then Ralph Tresvent wanted to do a solo career. Cause that at that point, Bobby Brown got kicked out, but Bobby Brown was a big solo hit. Right. So Ralph mm-hmm. Tresvent's like, I can do that. And they get Johnny Gill. Mm. Um, but once like Johnny Gill leaves, it's Bell Biv DeVoe. That's what's left. Yeah. 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 So I think that's interesting that like Bell Biv DeVoe opted not, you know, they opted to not be like, hey, we're still a new edition. It's like we're, yeah, some, they were like, we're, we're different. We're something different, which I think is valid. You know, when I'm looking at like the Sugar Babes, like it's like, especially because at the time that the Sugar Babes was trying to continue, they were in my eyes 
given that they were doing like red one songs they were trying to become the pussycat dolls yeah they were they were getting replaced with increasingly like sexy looking women wearing increasingly sexy looking outfits and singing these essentially pussycat doll songs yeah, you know yeah i think you know even even talking about these linchpin theories of groups it's like the pussycat dolls right nicole scherzinger left yeah and they're they were trying to figure out like is the pussycat dolls going to continue are they going to recast the pussycat dolls essentially because it was kind of a who's, manufactured group with by robin whose Anton, voice right? are they going to use in the songs yeah no and i mean <laughs> and that's where um god what was the name of that band the the aubrey o'day no 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 no, no. grl Ugh, what is that what is that even Geo, oh, that so is. so in the aftermath of nicole scherzinger leaving the pussycat dolls there were these robin anton was trying to work on like what do we do about oh. the pussycat dolls she formed that mini pussycat dolls group called girlicious on a, re- a cw reality television series but uh, then yeah. she also started um grouping together this new group of five girls and originally it, it was reported that this was going to be the pussycat dolls that she was just bringing together five new people and they were going to be the pussycat dolls and for whatever reason i think wisely they realized like no 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 like let's not do that and so they they created this new group called grl which um oh, okay they did a song called lighthouse and they did a song called ugly heart um this lineup of GRL, one of the one of the girls was a dancer from So You Think You Can Dance. One of the girls, Simone Battle, who was actually like the lead singer of GRL, she was a contestant on X Factor US. She's one of the only other X Factor US contestants that I know about. Mm. Um, and right as GRL was um, starting to take off, they were actually getting some pop pop play. Um, Simone Battle, um, she committed suicide. Oh shit. Yeah, it was it was so shocking, I think, because I think GRL was actually poised to be like the next Pussycat Dolls because they were getting traction. You know, they had a good look. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it. It's crazy because then after that, basically, GRL tried to continue on with without the artist that was supposed to be their Nicole Scherzinger. Mm-hmm. the strong lead voice. Um, but obviously like after that, they were lacking her talent and they were also kind of, um, there was a Paul kind of cast over the entire project, I think. Yeah. Wait. So also Robin Anton did the Carl's Jr. Ad featuring Paris Hilton. Did in what way? I think directed or choreographed her movements or was involved in somehow. There was choreography in that? I don't know. Her writhing. Wasn't it just like bend over and wash this car? <laughs> I know. Oh, no, wait. That was She wasn't washing a car. She was eating a burger, no, right? she was eating a burger. Yeah. Anyway. What am I thinking about washing a car? Well, you know what's interesting? What was it? Jessica Simpson? I don't remember. Um, yeah. um, you know, talking about reunions or revivals. I don't know if this this counts, but uh, Christina Aguilera just re-released or re-recorded Reflection for yeah. the 2020 Mulan. Have you heard it? I, I, I may not have listened to it all the way through. I think mm, I just because it's a lot. It's a lot. 
the the climax of the song essentially happens in like the first three bars. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I, I definitely, like, she goes I definitely listened it. to a snippet and came away feeling like I had experienced the whole thing. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't take you on a journey at all. She's like, she, she throws just takes you, you in the middle of the road. She just takes you to your destination and just drops yeah. you off. And you're like, I, I feel like so. So Adam hadn't really didn't know the original one really. Okay. Which, you know, iconically launched her career. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I feel like a lot of people our age, like that's a, it's a, it's an iconic song and I, we listened to it back to back. So we listened to that and it is interesting to hear Christina's voice 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago now. Um, because it really wasn't, she's kind of weak on that song. <laughs> like there's a lot, I mean, you could tell she hadn't had a lot of practice and a lot of training yet at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's some waveriness in the, in the performance. And then you hear like the 2020 version and it's very like, I feel like she was set out to prove that like she could sing. And so like from the jump, there are run after run after run where like, there's no reason to no reason. Isn't that the story of Christina Aguilera? Yeah. 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 It's her taste. It's her taste level. She's all, you're just like, girl, just Adam made the point. He's like, you sit, you listen to a Whitney ballad and she takes you on a journey and it builds. You listen to if only you knew, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. famously Patti LaBelle song now redone by SWV and it starts obviously these women can sing their fucking faces off but it starts slow starts lower in their register and it builds till they hit that absolute crescendo at the end and you feel like you've been taken on a journey and Christina within the first line is just like you're like wait why'd you redo that ad lib like yeah. we don't need it now <laughs> I mean that's I I feel like that's the common story about Christina Aguilera throughout her career is that she was always looking to just belt 24/7 Yeah. You know, she I think she had so many qualms about her her debut album because there was so much emphasis from the songwriters and from the producers to just show a little restraint. You mm-hmm. don't need to belt in people's faces all the time. Yeah. You can have a pop song where maybe you don't belt at all. Yeah. Maybe you show other types of vocal control or talent. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, I, I think that early on she was showing that she just wanted to turn, you know, 20 vocal cartwheels in front of you. That's what it feels like. You know, it feels like that mm-hmm. little kid that's like, look at me, look at me, look what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a woman that's like, you know, well into her 30s. Oh, maybe 40 now. I think she's my age. I think she's 40. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting sort of revisit. Blast from the past. Sort of, sort of related. Will it be as successful for her? Recapture the magic, folks. I mean, at this point, she could have a relaunch of her career and that would be fine. I mean, <laughs> not a relaunch. We'll talk about it. Yeah, she we had a need song to... on the Adams Family song on the Adams Family soundtrack last year that oh. I loved. I like Christina. Nobody we heard should, it. We, we I should, do too. Can we? Can we do a whole Christina Aguilera episode? Oh my that? God, let's do it. Let's do it. Because you know, I have, I have my, Let I have my flop, I have my flop, Tina. I have my flop. Oh, there's jams. so many. So it's many. So many. Um, all right. Anyway, I think anyway. that we covered it. I have lost all sense of space and time because of the heat. Mm-hmm. It's I'm 112 like, degrees over there, I think. Cool. Yes, 111. <laughs> I've lost all sense of space, time, uh, sensation, feeling, uh, touch, sight, hearing, smell, taste. I've lost everything. I'm looking at where we're at in time. You have not drunk any water, just kava. No, I did. I had a whole bottle of water. Okay. Um, I truly did not know that this much time had elapsed. I'm shocked, awe, shocked and shock and awe, shock and awe, agog, 
everything agape you're gonna have you're gonna have a fun time editing this one. i know this might get it two episodes all right so all right let's, let's wrap it up i think that this is a good good time good. good time i'm gonna go back and we're gonna see that it's me it is you cool so we're gonna wrap it up special thanks to adam elder for composing our theme music As songs always. and as always, songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And check us on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And email us. See you guys, see you guys next week. Yeah, that too. You, <laughs> email <laughs> us. Don't email us. We'll see you anyway. Yeah, we, email us and we'll see you. We'll 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 invite you to the Google Hangout. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs>